We're going to continue from the book of Matthew, um, and I have the honor, responsibility, and very heavy responsibility to finish the book of Matthew 6. Uh, now, this is one of my favorite portions of scriptures, and this is, all, I think, everybody's favorite portion of scriptures, or, or the scripture that you, uh, you probably know in the book of Matthew, right? So if there's one verse in the whole book of Matthew that every Christian will probably know, it's Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. All right? Um, a lot of preachers love this verse because of the last part. And all these things will be added unto you. And today, I'm gonna, I want to explain what it really means, right? To seek God first, to seek His kingdom first. What does it mean to seek His righteousness first? And of course, especially, what does it mean when all these things will be added on to you. Okay? We're going to get there. Are you okay? You with me? There you go. All right. So uh, uh, we'll be talking on Matthew 6, chapter 25 to 34. Let's read it together. All right? One, two, three, go. <clears throat> I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, and food body more than clothes, look at the birds of the air. <clears throat> Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you not clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, Thank you. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? <clears throat> the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father. But... Each day has enough trouble on its own. Amen. Uh, good word. You know, this is such a rich, uh, rich scripture. And the, and the more I study it, uh, the more I look at it, the more I read it, the more I contemplate on it, I really think that this is, this is one of the richest scripture in Matthew. And it, it, this is one of the pinnacles of Matthew. And we really need to understand this to move on from Matthew 6. So I call this the richest Christmas fruitcake uh, of Matthew. And there's many ways to cut a fruitcake. Some, some people like to cut it on square pieces. Some people like to cut it like a cake. Uh, so today, I will cut a very big portion of the fruitcake. It's not the only way you can understand Matthew 6, the last portion, but I hope it is a fundamental way of how we can learn to trust in God. So the title of my sermon is, Do You Trust God? Do you trust in God? Four points. Uh, sorry, three points. I want to I explain what it means to worry. I want to explain what does it mean to seek God. Have you ever asked yourself, what does it mean to seek God? How do we seek God? And I want to end with this. How do we seek God? How do I know I'm seeking God? How do you know you're seeking God? Is there a yardstick? Is there a measuring stick to, to, to say that, hey, you are a good Christian. You are seeking God very well. So hopefully after the service today, I, I'll do it justice and I'll explain what it really means to seek God. So I'll start with this. What does it mean to worry? <clears throat> Everybody worries, right? And, and our, our, one of our favorite words is, I'm worried. I'm worried about what? And, and sometimes there's a good connotation to it. And sometimes there's a bad connotation to it, right? I'm worried about um, my mother who is not well. I think that's okay, right? Do you think, you think that's okay to get worried about your mother that's not well? I'm worried um, about what I eat tomorrow for dinner. Some of us will be like, that's okay because food is very important a.k.a. my wife, right? She worries because it's important to her. To me, it will always be, it really doesn't matter. Who cares, right? As long as I don't go hungry, I will be fine. And then she would say, that is so not true. 
right? Because she would recommend five places and I would say no to all five because that's not what I want to eat. Uh, so I do worry about what to eat. It's just that I worry five minutes before dinner. So I want to cover um, the top five things people worry about. And if I were to ask you today, what, do you, what are you worried about? What makes you anxious? What gives you anxiety? What are you worried about? What are the top five things in your life that you do worry about? All right? And I, I, of course, there's a survey done uh, all across the globe, and I compiled the survey and I landed on the top five things that people generally do worry about. And I don't know if you agree with me, but money is one of them. Money, job, uh, security uh, uh, for your future is one of them. And I think all of us here fall under that category, especially if you live and work in KL and you're a working adult, you fall under that category. Uh, the second is children or family. I think that's a big worry, right? Especially for parents, I worry about my child. Uh, is he or she okay? Is she going to survive the next flu attack? Um, is she going to survive? Uh, uh, now, my next stage of worry is which daycare to send my baby, and then I'm already worried about which primary school. Is it public? Is it Chinese school? Is it English school? Is it private school? But of course, because I don't earn so much, private school is out of the picture. Um, I, even if I do earn so much, I'm not too sure if I want to send my kids to a private school. Um, next, relationships. Now, this will hit most of you in the room. I think you're young adults. You worry about relationships, right? If you're not in a relationship, you worry about getting into a relationship. Oh, I want to I wanna get with this girl. I want to get with that girl or that guy. And then you've got a list of 30, 40 criterias your, your perfect spouse needs to fulfill. And then you meet the guy and then you realize, hey, I like this guy, but this guy fulfills none of the 30 things, but you still go out with the guy. Don't lie to me, right? I counsel enough young adults. You will tell me he fulfills zero or she fulfills zero of the criteria, but you will still go out with this guy or girl, and I would always be perplexed, right? So relationships, and if you are in a relationship, you worry, right? Uh, is, this, is this girl or is this guy going to love me forever? Is, am I going to be the only one? Do I have to share my love with, with, with pound cake? Do I have to share my love of my wife with Netflix? You know, what do I have to share my life, my, uh, her, her affections with? So you worry. There's a lot of worries. Of course, there's health. Uh, we all worry about our health, right? And then maybe the minority in this room will be worried about getting old getting older or dying, right? So you, I don't know if you reach that stage where you worry about dying, uh, uh, but that's one of our worries. Is that okay? That's our worries, right? But the big question is, what is wrong with worry? What is wrong with worry? Why, does the Bible, why is the Bible so against worrying? What's the, what's the problem with worrying? It's okay, right? I worry, I worry about my health. That's why I eat more healthy, for example. I worry about my relationship, so I spend more time with my spouse to work at my relationship. So what is the big deal about worry? Why is the Bible so against worry? And if you continue to read Matthew chapter 6, right, it talks about don't worry about what you eat, don't worry about what you wear. And then the next question would be, is Jesus biased against the poor people? Because only poor people worry about what you eat, right? And only poor people worry about what you wear. Am I right? You know, I used to know, I have, used to know a friend. Who, he was really poor uh, 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 studying in England with me. He was really, really poor. Uh, he worked as a, wa a waiter at a restaurant. They only gave him two sets of uniform. Uh, so when he comes home, he has to wash. And hopefully it dries in the day. He weighs the second set. And then comes back home to wash and dry so that he goes back on the third day and he can wear the, wear the first uh, set of uniform. And, and, and every day he's wondering and hoping that, you know, his clothes would dry uh, fast and he has something to eat on the table. Because look, poor people do worry about what to eat or what to wear. But look, look, I'm not too sure if there's anyone in this room who will actually have to really worry about your next meal. The only thing you worry about is where to eat, Right? That's all your worry. It's, where to, it's, a, it's a first world problem. That's what you worry about, where to eat. But you don't worry whether you can eat or not. And I think this verse is talking about whether you can eat or not, right? You don't have to worry about what clothes you wear. The worry is which clothes to wear. Am I right? That's your worry, right? When you come to church, it's which, clothes, which clothing do I wear instead of do I even have something to wear? So I want to address a few questions. Uh, uh, why is the Bible so adamant to be against worrying. What's the real definition of worrying? And let me give you the world's definition of worrying. This is how the world defines it. Worrying is the fear that something, may, something bad may happen to you. That's why we worry, right? And that's why uh, people with, without God worry because they don't have a heavenly father to look after them. Let me give you the whole summary of Matthew 6. 
They don't have a heavenly father to look after them. And I'm hoping that every one of us in this room, if we're Christians, and we know that we have a heavenly father up, out there, up there, or I guess out there, that's fine as well, right? Not theologically wrong. Up there and out there, we have a heavenly father that looks after us and we don't have to worry so much, even though we still do, right? But what does the Bible say about worry? Let me take you through Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 says this. <clears throat> it starts with alms giving. So alms is giving to the poor, okay? Just in case we don't live in 18th century England. All right? Alms giving is giving to the poor. And then, you've, and then he talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. He talks about treasures. And then he talks about do not worry. What is the causal link in the whole chapter of Matthew 6? Why does it go from uh, giving to the poor, praying, fasting, uh, where is your treasure? And then it talks, certainly talks about therefore, which means that all these things have something to do with not worrying. So it's this. Follow me here. Give me five minutes. Follow me. I'll come into the text very soon. Almsgiving. So the Bible says, when you give to the poor, don't tell everybody how generous you are. Give it in secret that only your father would know. So back in those days in the synagogues, the poor would be outside the synagogues, lining up, waiting for service to end, so that when the people go out from service, they would at least catch a few dollars from, from the from churchgoers. And, and, and Jesus is telling the people of those times, when you go and give something to the poor, don't go and babble. Don't tell your friends how much you're giving. Don't make it a competition. Don't make it about the approval of men. Because we want to tell people how much we give because we want people to acknowledge that we are very generous. Don't you think? Don't you think? I'm going to take a stab at some of the... No, I shouldn't. Okay, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. Okay, I, I really want to, but I really shouldn't. Sorry, sorry. Scrape that. We want to tell people how generous we are. Don't you think? And God is saying, don't. When you give to the poor, the test of your condition of your heart and how genuine you really are is when you give to the person and you don't tell a soul because only one person can see how much you give and who you give. And that's Father God. The approval of one. You live for the audience of one. And that's what God is getting at the beginning of Matthew 6. And then he goes on to prayer. And he says, don't pray and babble in, in front of the synagogues. Don't pray in the public so everybody can see how well of a prayer warrior you are on how intercessory you are. Don't pray so that only pray when people are looking at you. You know, when you go into prayer meetings, you know, you stand there and the worship team is play, playing, you know, and the prayer leader is praying and you're standing there at the service. And then sometimes, it's some prayer authors when they're next to me, they, that person suddenly goes into a, a prayer frenzy. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And I'm like, oh, what changed? Ah, Pastor Chiu walked in. <laughs> I'm just kidding, right? I hope it's none of you, right? I'm like, hey, are you praying because you're praying? Or are you praying for somebody to notice you, right? Oh, man, I'm such a good prayer warrior. That's what Jesus is saying. If you want to pray, don't pray just because people are here looking. Don't pray so that people can acknowledge that, wow, you are such an amazing prayer warrior. You today have memorized three verses. You quoted five verses in your prayer. My goodness, you're amazing. Don't pray like that. And God says, pray in secret to the Father because the Father knows. Because the Father hears. The audience of one. Your heart. Where is your heart? Do you want the approval of men? Or do you want the approval of God? the only approval that matters. And he goes on to fasting. So he says, when you fast, don't look sad and gloomy so that the whole world knows you're fasting. Don't go and proclaim and blow your trumpet that I'm fasting. Oh my goodness, look at me, I'm so holy, right? It's not even 40 days fast and prayer and I'm already fasting for 40 days, right? right? And then you, you tell the whole world and you act so gloomy and sad. Oh, I can't eat this cheesecake because I'm, I'm fasting cheesecake. Oh, I can't eat my lunch because I'm fasting and everybody knows that you're fasting. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't do that, right? When you when you fast, put on a smile so that everybody knows uh, uh, so that you fast in secret. You know, okay, let me give you, okay, I like this piece of information. I hope the third service do, and I hope you do as well. Back in those days, when they fast, people fast at home. So now these days, we fast at home, and sometimes we fast corporately, right? And that's okay, that's fine with that. But in those days, people fast at home, right? So you don't eat at home, uh, uh, you don't drink any water, you, you fast at home. So before they leave the house, what they would do is they would oil their heads, and they would wash their hands and wash their face so that they would look fresh when they leave the house. It is the olden day version of the new Bobby Brown, okay, or Mac, or, or whatever makeup that you use, just in case. For the guys, you don't know what I'm talking about. And the only reason I know it is because now I have a wife, okay? 
Um, um, so it's, it's the makeup of those days. And God is saying, for, for those of you who fast at home, when you leave your house, make sure you oil your head and you wash your face and you wash your hands so you look fresh. Don't forget this step just so that everybody can see that you look sad and gloomy, right? So 40 days is coming. Make sure you leave the house, ladies, with some makeup, okay? Men, gel your hair, all right? Gel your hair so that, yes, we know you're 40 days fasting, but when you go into the workplace, you look fresh for your boss to see. Is that okay? And God is saying, look, when you fast, who are you fasting for? You're fasting so that people can say that you are a great person, a great man of God, or you're fasting so that you can hear God better. You're fasting in secret. What is the condition of your heart? Matthew 6, what is the condition of your heart? And then it goes to treasures. Where is your treasure? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Do you see the causal link? Do you see the link? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And God points out two treasures. Either you have treasures on earth or you store treasures in heaven. And I, and I know, and it's not wrong, that treasures, in, uh, people say it's money and it's materialistic things and it's wealth, and that's not wrong. That is correct because mammon is the god of money, right? You cannot serve God and you cannot serve mammon. But I also have a strange suspicion that the treasures on earth that we store are the approval and praises of men that we treasure the approval of men much, much more than we treasure the approval from God. And that's what Matthew 6 is about. Where is your treasure? What do you treasure? Because if you treasure the approval of men, your external facade will always be about the approval of men. And everything you do will be about the approval of men. And if you don't get the approval of men, either you blow your trumpet even louder or you change church. Or you change workplace, right? So that your new church or new workplace will recognize how great you are. It's a proof of men. And God says, hey, hey, no, no, no. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot get the approval of men and the approval of God. You, can, you have to choose either one. If you get the approval of men, you have received your reward in full. Just so you know, this reward, the moth can eat it, the rust will get to it and thieves can steal it. What does it mean when thieves steal your approval? It means this, Fergus gives me an approval and I'm like, I feel so good about myself. And then Kim criticized me, Evie criticized me, Denzen criticized me and then I will assume these three are thieves that just stole my approval away, right? And I only can focus on all the negative things that people are saying about me and I forget all the good things because that's just who we are. And God is saying, where is your treasure? Where is your heart, Matthew 6. And then he says, therefore, do not worry. Worry has something to do with your heart. And it's this. Worry, let me say it slow, because I've been told that somebody wants to write this down, okay? Let me say it slow. Worry is translated as merimnao. Merimnao is anxious. I'm anxious, right? And the root reason why God says you are anxious is because you seek to promote self-interest. See the link? The whole Matthew 6 is about promoting me to get the approval of men. Promoting me to get the approval of men. Whatever I do, I must get the praises of men. And God says, don't worry. Because if you worry, you are worrying because you're you're not getting any praises. Oh, I'm worried, right? I'm not getting any praises. And the root word of merimnao is merimna which is distraction. God is saying, oh, you're distracted. What are we distracted from? We're distracted from our focus in Jesus Christ because we certainly make everything to be about me when everything is supposed to be about Him. That's worry. That's why we worry. And then the, the last root word is merzeo, which is divided. We have a divided heart. And that's why God says, you cannot serve two masters. You have to choose one. You either love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other. And the, the way I sum up worry is instead of how the world defines it, which is a fear that something bad may happen, worry in this context is this. To worry is when your heart has divided loyalties because you seek your own selfish desires, which is the approval of men. And everything's got to be about me. And now you can understand why God says, do not worry about what you eat or what you wear. It is not about rich people. It is not about poor people. It is about the human problem, the condition of our heart. You see, rich people worry about what you eat because you've got to upkeep your facade. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I always eat in certain kinds of restaurants. Hawker stores are no longer beneath me, 
right? I can, must spend at least, I don't know, I, look, I'm not rich, so I'm trying to project myself as a rich person. I don't know how that looks like. I must spend 50 bucks every meal in order to upkeep my image, and then I have to Instagram it. Uh, I'm, again, not an Instagrammer, and I don't quite understand when people Instagram food. I always go, hmm, I don't think I want to eat this, but thanks for showing me what you ate, right? That, but that's just me. Please continue to do so, okay? Uh, don't let me stand in the way of your taking pictures of food, okay? Um, that's me. It's, you see, it's a rich, rich, rich person problem. You see, in those days, why is it food and clothes? Why didn't he say so much more? But of course, there's no social media in those days, right? Why, why food and clothes? Because in those days, the Roman, the, uh, the, 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 the Roman culture is divided into three social classes. The patricians, the patricians are the ruling party, which means the rich of the rich. You're, the, you're the, the power of the power, the position of the position, the rich of the rich. They're the patricians, all right? Which means that they are on par of the politicians, they are the generals, they are the people who tell everybody else what to do, all right? So you, are, you have wealth. And then you have the plebeians. The plebeians are just normal people. Probably I fall under plebeians, right? And the last category is slaves. Now, I, well, I don't know whether I'm a slave or a plebeian. Well, we'll see, right? Um, I'm a slave for Jesus, right? So I guess I'm a sort of a slave. And then you, they're slaves. You see, in those days, why do they worry about what to eat? Because the patricians always eat first, right? The slaves and the plebeians prepare the food for the patricians to eat first. So I've got to eat first. So they worry about what to eat or when to eat because the moment you eat first, that denotes your social class. Hmm? Is that okay? All right. And then the plebeians will eat next. So there's always a kitchen for the patricians to eat. All right. I don't have a drawing of a Roman house. I wish I did. Right. There's always a kitchen for the, for the, for the, for the patricians to eat. There's, there's the, the, the social strata, right? I eat there. And then there is a kitchen outside. So the plebeians eat at the outer courts. There's a, the, the kitchen outside. So that's where they eat. And then the slaves eat last. And the slaves don't even eat in the house. The slaves eat in the fields, right? So that's why it's so important to them what they eat. Because where you eat, what you eat, and when you eat denotes what social class you come from. Now, of course, that may not be our case today. What about clothes? What's clothes so important? Well, self-explanatory. If you're richer, you would have a nicer clothes to wear. So when you walk out into the market, once a person look at you, they know exactly which social strata you come from. Because money buys your food and money buys your clothes. That's why the, the few verses before is, don't serve money. Therefore, do not worry about what you wear because God will provide for you something of greater worth than the clothes you wear, something of greater worth than the food that you eat. He will tell you your self-worth that no food, no money, no clothes can ever, ever give you. And now my question for you today is, are you worried? We may not be worried about the food we eat. Look, I don't know in your life whether you are worried about the food that you eat. We may not be worried about the clothes you wear. Maybe, especially for me. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really care about the, the clothes that I wear. So my wife dressed me up. She's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, wife. Um, without her, I don't think I'd go shopping ever uh, at all. Uh, but, but that's just me, right? What about you? Are you worried about the clothes that you wear? Especially when you're going to a function and you know everybody's wearing nice and you got to keep up, right? You got to keep up. The question is, are you worried for the clothes that you wear because you want to look good and you just, you know, that's your identity or are you worried about the clothes that you wear to prove that you have made it in life so that people can look at you and go, wow, I want to be you. There's a fine difference. And that's the worry of our life. Are you worried about the money and the job security that you have? Because look, I want to earn enough so that you know, I can be good steward of God's money and I can put the money where it's worth, uh, whether it's in my family or whether it's into church or whether it's into the missions field. I'm worried about that. Yes, I think I, I can commend you. Or are you worried about your money and job security because you want to tell your friends that you have made it? Look, look at me. Look at me. I have made it in my life. There is a fine difference. And this sermon is for you to search your own heart on whether you fall under the first category or the second category. You see, if your parent in this place, if your child screams in the public place, is screaming, do you discipline the child because it's, you want to teach the child good values? 
Or do you discipline the child because that child is causing you to be embarrassed in the middle of the food court and causing you to lose face? So you cannot lose face because people are looking at you, so you discipline the child. There's a fine difference. And only you would know the difference in your heart. See, the first difference is commendable. But the second difference, God says, you worry because you are looking for your selfish desire. You are looking for the approval of men. Do you serve in church? Let's get, it's, it's getting touchier and touchier, right? Do you serve in church? Because you really want to serve? I don't care where they put me. That's the, I, I'm always looking for people like that. You know, Pastor Isaac, I don't care where you put me. I just want to serve. You put me in the basement. You put me on stage. I don't care. You, I just want to serve. So far, I've, I don't know if I've met someone like that. Except me. Whoa, no, no, no. <laughs> Nobody has said that. Even me. I've never said that before, right? I'm always looking for someone like that, right? Or you serve because I, I have to be at the door as an usher because it's at the door where everybody sees me serving. I cannot be back there making sure that that seat is occupied. There's a huge difference. When I serve on the, on, on, on the worship team, I have got to be the person who stands here. I cannot be the person who stands here. Something like that, all right? Okay, nothing against Sean and Auntie Jean I, right? Right? <laughs> of course, I'm not picking on them. They're both my friends. But just search your heart. When I go to sell, I go to sell because I want to be a contribution to the community. I want to be a friend to someone in the community because this church is so big. In a cell, is 10 people. I can be that one friend. I want to be that disciple to that one person. Or do you go to cell and say, it's got to be about me. If this cell is not good in word, I'm going to go to another cell. If that cell doesn't meet my needs, I'm going to go to another cell because it's always about you and you're worried and you're anxious. My question is, I took 15 minutes for this just to ask you the question, where is your heart? What does your heart truly seek when you post that picture on Instagram, young people? There's nothing wrong. Like there's nothing wrong with fasting, nor giving, nor praying, nothing wrong. But where is your heart? when you post that picture? Do you tell yourself, I must have 50 likes? That's me, okay? I'm only 50, right? Okay? Because I only have 200 friends, okay? 50 is already very high for me, okay? I know some of you have like 5,000 friends, okay? So 50 is like, oh, come on, I got 50. I didn't even post anything else to get 50. You know? So, I, okay, so that's just me. That's my standard. Is that okay? Right? Please friend me on Instagram. How about that? Um, I'm very lonely on social media. Um, I'm just kidding. But yes, when you post something, is it because you really want people to see, hey, you know, I am celebrating something and I want you to enjoy my life with me? Or you're posting something to prove to everybody, look, I've made it in life. I can eat at this hotel every day of my life. I don't know who you are, but yeah. Or I can afford to dress. Or the best one, I can go for this holiday and that holiday and that holiday and after this holiday. And nobody knows that actually you have no savings because you're going on holidays after holidays to prove to people that you have made it in your life. I wouldn't know. But the big question is, are you anxious in your life because you have something to prove to people? And only you will know. What's the opposite of that? How do you counteract your worry? It's to seek God first, His kingdom, and His righteousness. And all these things will be added onto you. And as you can guess, the definition is absolute opposite. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? To seek is zeteo. It's to, it means to be single-minded and undivided undivided in your heart for Jesus. If to worry means I'm divided in my allegiance. Okay, keep that on there. Just so you know, Jesus was talking to believers in this whole passage. How do I know? It's because he says, you of little faith. The, the moment he says, you of little faith, he's talking to believers because he didn't say, you of no faith. He acknowledged that his disciples have faith, but very little, very, very little. Little to the point where I believe that God exists but hey, my allegiance is divided. I still want to do what I want to do. I don't want to obey. I don't want to follow this king. 
I still want to do what I want to do. And Jesus said, you of little faith, come on, grow your faith. He's talking to, he's talking to believers here. He, so he says, seek first, be single-minded, be undivided in your heart for Jesus Christ. Seek what? Seek the kingdom. What's the kingdom? Basileia, which is the kingship and the rule of Jesus Christ. Who is the king of your heart? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it approval from people? Is it praises? Or is Jesus the king of your heart? Because if Jesus is truly the king of your heart, nobody in this room will have a problem picking up a sweet wrapper across the aisle. Nobody. You would never say, leave that to the maids. Leave that to the servants. That's what we pay them for. You would never, because this is God's house. And if your heart is undivided for God, when you see something on the floor, you would pick it up. You would. But how many of us can actually say that? It's a tough message. I know. What's righteousness? This is brilliant. A state approved by God. And God is saying to you, you have only one source for your approval that matters. The audience of one. The approval of God and God only. The moment you get approval from men, it's a fleeting thing that can go away at any moment. But one word from God would last you a long time. Agreed? Agreed? Have you tasted and seen how good God is in your life? Have you tasted and heard from God and says, my child, my child, I'm pleased with you? Have you heard those words? Because if you haven't, can I beg you to spend time with God in secret, in secret, in your own room. Spend time with God and ask Him, God, where is my heart? Because my heart is deceitful above all else. Sometimes I don't even know whether I'm seeking the approval of men. And let me tell, okay, let me tell you something. Okay, let me repeat my story in the third service. I always appreciate people who encourage me after a sermon. So believe me, I do. I appreciate your emails. I appreciate your WhatsApps. I appreciate your verbal acknowledgement. I really do. I appreciate it. But if you WhatsApp me or if you email me, you can guarantee that I will not reply you until Tuesday or Wednesday. And there's a reason why. I don't read it. I, don't, I purposely don't read it. Not accidentally. I purposely don't read the WhatsApps or email until Tuesday. Let me tell you why. Because if I, I find, and this is me, this is, doesn't have to be you, this is just me, I find that if after a sermon or after this fourth service, if I turn out, take out my phone and I read all the encouragement, I, I will find my heart being pulled to pleasing men instead of God. I'll be like, wow, everybody loved my sermon. I must be so good. Wow, everybody loves my sermon. The presence must be strong because of me. Wow, you know, I'm such a great expositor of the Bible. My goodness, Billy Graham has a successor, right? <laughs> he doesn't, right? <laughs> Sorry, he's, he's, not, he's, not, he's not on earth anymore. He's with our Heavenly Father, right? Oh my goodness. It's, and I find that it can easily get to my head. And the more I feed this part of me, the more sermons that I do, it's going to be, oh my goodness, let's, let's cater this sermon for the audience. Let's cater this sermon for the church. Let's dilute God's word a little bit so that the church can feel good and feel happy. And that is a place I do not want to be. And so I spend the whole of Monday just asking God one question. How did I do? You tell me. You tell me, God. Because if you say good, that's all I need to know. If you say bad, that's okay, right? Because God disciplines the people that He loves. So that's okay. So bad, good, it doesn't matter. All I want to do is I want to hear from you because I want to know where my heart is when I preach. And my heart is whether is it for God or is it for all of you? Because it's so easy for me to preach a sermon that caters to the people. You know, every week I can just preach, God wants to bless you. Everybody will come. Don't you think? Right? Who doesn't want to be blessed? But that's, sometimes that's just not the Word of God. And I always got to ask myself, that's why I spend Monday, whether in prayer or whether in silence or whether I sleep, always asking God, God, where is my heart? Because if I were to do this for the next 40 years of my life, I do not want to catch myself one day falling in the trap of pride. I never want to catch myself one day, just slip and go, oh, I didn't realize it because I never put safeguards in my life. And that's me. Now I'm going to ask, what about you? What about your life? You may not be up here preaching, but what is it that is so important to you that you are willing to sacrifice the approval of God for the approval of men? What is it? Everybody have one because the enemy always knows what string to play in your heart. 
He always knows what strings to pull in your heart. What is it in your life that you're always looking for the praises and the approval of men? And this is brilliant. I can say this freely because my parents are not here. Yay. Um, when you discipline a teenager or a child, do you discipline the teenager or a child? And hopefully one day I'll be able to answer it when my son grows up. Do you discipline the person because you love the child and you want the child to get good grades so that the child really can go to university and get a good degree and then support him, him or herself and it's really all for you and there's nothing, no other agenda for it. Please study hard to get good grades. Or you search your heart as a parent and then you ask, I'm disciplining you because if you don't get good grades and you get a C and a D in your report card and you cannot get into the university, the next Chinese New Year dinner, I have no face, ah. I scold you, you better study hard. I, have something, I need to have something to say to, to your uncle and auntie. Which is it? It's a very fine line, right? And we would never know. Well, at least I would never know your heart. Only you would know your heart. And sometimes you don't even know your heart because your heart is deceitful above all else. And only God will know your heart. And this whole chapter, God is saying, don't worry. Don't be divided in your allegiance. Don't seek the approval of men. Seek me. Seek God. And God only. Be undivided for your loyalty so that when the push comes to shove, you know exactly whose approval you are looking for. To seek God is when your heart is undivided for Jesus, living for Him and to be approved by Him only. To seek God is when your heart is undivided for Jesus, living for Him and to be approved by Him only. The audience of one. Only Him. Nothing else matters. Only Him. And it's the most crucial in a marriage. Because the moment I... I mean, I can freely share. The moment I'm married to... to of course, you know, my wife is Kim. The moment I'm married to Kim, she can easily replace God. Because suddenly Kim becomes my whole world of approval, right? If I don't do it well, what will Kim think? If I don't do it well, uh, if I do it well, is Kim going to say nice things to me? Is Kim going to approve me? Is Kim going to encourage me? Because the moment she don't encourage me, I feel that I didn't do too well. My self-esteem is at stake. And then I jump into anxiety. Then I go into depression. And then I, I text Pastor Isaac for prayer counseling at SMCC, right? And where can I get prayer counseling? Just because my wife didn't approve me, right? It's so easy to jump uh, uh, from God into someone else, right? To seek God is to have His approval only. And I go, God, if I have your approval in my marriage, I think my wife can agree that she would also approve of what I do. Because if, it's, if I'm doing something wrong, God will immediately rebuke me. If I'm doing something right, He will say, good job. And I think my wife will say, good job as well. Do you seek the approval of God? Why? Because all these things will be added onto you. What does that mean? What does it mean when you seek God first? Or you seek God first and only, and all these things will be added onto you. Does it mean that when you seek God, suddenly you have no worries about the food that you eat? Suddenly you have no worries about the clothes that you wear. God is going to give you money. God is going to give you riches. God is going to promote you in your workplace. Suddenly you're going to be the most influential person. And then next thing I know it, you'll be the president uh, of America 2020. All right? Vote Republican, vote Democrat. Up to you. Which one is it? Does it really mean that? Does it really mean that? And I, I tell you, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because I know that there are Christians out there that have nothing to eat and they still love God. But I also know Christians out there which have plenty to eat, who live in five mansions and five bungalows and they still love God. Right? So it's not about rich, it's not about poor. Then what does it mean when all these things will be added onto you? And I really think it means this. When you seek God with all your heart, when you seek Him, and seek His will, you will find it. And His will is specific to your life and why He created you for a purpose and a destiny. He created some people rich, He created some people poor. And what He created you for, He will give you to accomplish your mission or His mission on earth. If He made you, ah, children's pastor. If he made you and gave you that talent to talk to kids like Pastor Jeremy and gave him that talent to really interact with kids and to provide a great children's program, a great children's concert, a great children's syllabus for the kids to really grow up in a godly environment, only him would have that talent. I trust me when I tell you, I absolutely do not have that talent, right? And God would say, 
He will give Jeremy everything he needs to accomplish his purpose in the children's ministry. I would not have the need that he would have because that is not my purpose. Likewise, if you're rich in this place, you're so rich that you have servants to shop for you, cook for you, clean for you, if you're that rich, right? I assure you, when you take your last breath and you see God again, He will keep you accountable for every dollar and penny that He has given you because we are only stewards of His riches. And I guarantee you, the reason why I'm not rich is because I think God thinks that I cannot handle the riches. Right? Maybe when I become rich, I will turn away from God. Maybe when I become rich, I, 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 I would have more wives. <laughs> That's why I'm not rich. But rich in God, right? I'm just kidding. She's my only. Love you. Please let me sleep at home. I guarantee you, I'm not seeing anyone else. My heart is undivided for you. <laughs> but I truly feel that if you are rich in this place, God will keep you accountable and God knows that you can handle it and God knows that He has given you riches for a specific purpose and He's going to want you to achieve that purpose in your life. Likewise, when God made you not so rich, made you poorer maybe, but maybe God gave you talent, he, at the last breath, when you see Him again, you, He will ask you, what did you do with the one talent that I gave you? three talents that I gave you, five talents that I gave you, the more things He gives you, the more things that you will be accountable for at the end of your life. So when all these things are given and added onto you, it means that every one of us here have a very specific purpose and destiny in the kingdom of God and God will give you everything you need to achieve that destiny. The question is, what is your purpose? Do you know your purpose? Because if you don't, your heart would always be divided. Your heart would always be divided because you don't know. You don't know where you're going, right? Is it money? Is it job? Is it many girlfriends? Is it drugs? Is it, is it social media? Is it media? What, what is it? You don't have a purpose. You need to know your purpose. And the only way to know your purpose is to seek God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind until you come to a realization of that purpose, especially young adults. Because I know this is the fourth service. Young adults, don't waste the prime years of your life just doing things that you think the world loves. Use the prime years of your life to search God so that when God brings you to the next season, like maybe my season, I have a little son. Maybe when God brings you to that season, you have already searched God for the last 10 years of your life and you are so secure that my next season is where I am supposed to be. And that when you have a son, you still don't ask yourself, did I marry the right girl? Stop asking. You have a son. Take care of your son, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know if that's any one of you, right? Stop, stop, right? You're asking because you, you still don't know where you're going. You don't know where your loyalties lie. You're still asking yourself, should, should, really? Is, is this the girl for me? I don't know, but after three kids, I think so. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? Stop asking these questions. Spend the prime time of your life searching for God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and seek Him and seek Him only. Put Him first. And the question is, how do you know you are seeking God? How do you know? What is the measure that you are seeking God well? How do you know? How do I know, oh, I'm seeking God. Mm, not bad. Okay, I'm, I'm not a bad Christian. Or some people are like, okay, you, you know what? You are not seeking God at all. Or some people are like, you are definitely seeking God. How do you know? What do you think? And I really think it's this. The measure, or we measure, our heart for God through our obedience for Him. We're talking about undivided loyalties here. We're talking about a king here. We're talking about two treasures here. The treasures of God or the treasures of this world. The measure that you have a heart for God, that you seek God, is through your obedience. That's where the crunch lies. Because when God calls you to serve as a cell leader, and the world calls you by giving you a promotion and bringing you somewhere else, maybe, that's where you got to decide. Do I take up leadership or do I take this promotion? 
only your heart can tell you what is right in your life. Only you would know in your obedience. Don't talk about seeking God, seeking God, and you seek God all your life. Yes, I found Him, I found Him. And then what? Sit, congratulations, you found Him. But if you don't obey Him, there is no allegiance in His kingdom because it's a kingdom where there is a king and a king demands that his subjects be loyal to him and to obey him only, to hear his voice. Is it because God is a megalomaniac? He wants everybody to worship him? No. He, he asks us to obey, not for his good, but for your good, but for my good. To obey for my good. I obey for my good. Let me tell you this. You know, I was brought up in a family. Uh, my father is strict. And there's three rules when I go overseas. No sex, no drugs, no alcohol. Of course, when I stay with him, none of this, are, you know. <laughs> Obviously, right? <laughs> Otherwise, I don't, think, I don't think I'll be here today. Um, he'll be up for murder trial. Anyways, uh, overseas, three rules. No sex, no drugs, no alcohol. And I may not be the strongest Christian, but when I went overseas, it's the three rules that I only remember because I, I just found... Look, I obey. I still don't know why. I was 17 years old. I don't know why, but I just obey. And it's like our lives. And, I, and I'm very grateful at 35 years old that I obeyed. I'm twice my age back then. Because now I realize, okay, I understand why no drugs. Because I have an addictive personality. That's why I don't, I, I don't like to play new games because I'll be addicted very quickly, right? I'm, I have an addictive personality, so the moment I take a drug, I think I'll be addicted and that's it. That's the end of my life. No alcohol, same thing. And no sex because, hey, we love God first and we want to save myself for my wife, right? And I kept these three rules and I didn't understand until now and I want to challenge you. You may not understand what God has in store for you, but obedience is not the same as understanding. We obey first, we understand later. We obey God first, and the understanding will always come later. So my challenge is to all of you is this. Do you trust God enough to obey Him no matter what? Your friends would laugh at you because you don't take a drop of alcohol at a party because everybody's getting drunk and you're the only one who don't drink and everybody's laughing at you. Do you still obey? That's when the push comes to shove, young people. Because do you want the approval of your friends or are you looking for the approval of the audience of one? And only one person in that room would know your allegiance, Jesus Christ. Only He would know. Everybody would laugh at you. Would you take up cell leadership in a cell and sacrifice your Wednesday night even though Wednesday night is your, where your office meets and then you, you meet your colleague, you meet your boss and that's where networking happens and that's where your boss promote people and your boss talk to people. Would you sacrifice your Wednesday or Friday night or both nights just to, just to go to sell? Not even sell leadership, just to go to sell. Would you sacrifice that instead of going to your work party? Only God will know if you say yes. And the whole world would laugh at you. You're crazy. You're crazy. Would you sacrifice your career just for this? You're insane. The whole world would laugh at you. And that's where the push would come to shove. Would you sacrifice your approval of men for the approval of God? Or is it the other way around? Which one is it? And I can give you countless more examples in your life. Countless more examples. Because every day we are tested. And every day we need to purposely and intentionally seek God first. And we seek God first by putting our best foot forward and say, I would obey you. And whatever you command me to do, I would obey. If you ask me to forgive this person, oh, I would forgive. If you ask me not to date this person, oh, I won't date. If you say, date this person, even though he fulfills no criteria, I will date. If you say, go to church, I will go. If you say, serve God, I will serve. Would you obey and trust that once you obey him, he has something good in store for you? You can trust your life in the palm of His hands. Will you obey? Do you trust God enough? Enough to say, I don't understand why sex before marriage is prohibited. I don't understand. It's stupid. What a stupid rule. I don't understand God. But fine. I'll obey for now. I'll understand later. Would you? Are you strong enough in your conviction for God? Are you strong enough to say, God, I stand firm 
on the foundation of Jesus Christ and I would never let you go because I know at the end of the day, it's going to be good for me. Not for anyone else, but it's going to be good for me and me alone. Do you trust Father God that He have you in the palm of His hands? Trust Him enough to seek Him first. Trust Him enough that you have a purpose and whatever your life amounts to, it's right there aligned to your purpose. You just got to align your heart to His heart. May He open up your heart to see what that purpose is. And it's a struggle. Sometimes I still struggle. God, what is my purpose? What's the point? What's the point of all this? Tell me, tell me now. God says, wait, trust and obey. Trust and obey. And one day, you will understand. Church, is that where you are? To trust and to obey. I, I wish I can do an altar call for each and every one of you, for all the places of obedience in your life where God has spoken to you and you have chosen to close a blind eye, chosen to close one ear because look, I'm str- I want the ways of the world instead of the ways of God. I can't do it for all of you. So I'm just going to rely on the Holy Spirit to convict you where you are right now to say there is always going to be an area of your life that you can obey God more. Always going to be where you have fallen in your walk of obedience. And God says, my child, my child, come back to me. Obey me. Obey me because it's not good for him. It's going to be good for you. But I can't see why is it good for me, God. Obey. Just obey. Like a child obeying a parent, we obey our Father. It's going to be good for us. Is that okay, church? Can I just challenge you to close your eyes for 30 seconds? Search your hearts. Search my heart, O God, and know all my evil thoughts. Search my heart, O God, and know all my evil ways. And then lead me in ways everlasting. Search my heart. What is the last thing God told you to obey? Let's recommit our lives to God again today. Let us not stray to the left. Let us not stray to the right. Let us obey every letter of the law. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey every command that He has given. Thank you, Jesus.